Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. So we've been talking since last week about this standard of excellence, which is a value here at Restoration Life. Because in order for us to fulfill the purpose that God has for Restoration Life, we have to establish a standard of excellence in our lives. Our text came from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul was speaking to the church in Corinth about his experience with the people of Macedonia. Now, if you recall what we talked about last week, Paul was just elated and filled with so much excitement about the joy, the generosity, the kindness, and the eagerness to serve from the people in Macedonia. And in verse 7 of chapter 8, he highlights several areas of excellence. Last week, we talked about three of them, and today, I, I want us to talk about the other three. Last week, though, we talked about excellence in faith, right? Excellence in faith. This is a complete trust in God according to his word. God lets us know, you can hold me to what I word, to, to my word. You can hold me to what I've spoken. You can hold me to what I've promised. That's on us to be able to trust him. The other thing we spoke about was excellence in speech. And as I communicated, excellence in speech is not being an eloquent speaker, but being able to communicate sound doctrine. Being able to read the word, grasp the word, and communicate the word in its truth. Not making up our own likeness to the word and adding our own flavor to the word to make it sound good and make it feel good, but being able to communicate what is true from the word of God. And the last one we spoke on last week is excellence in knowledge, which is application of the word. What good is it that you know the word, understand the word, can communicate the word, but you don't live the word? It's pointless. It completely defeats the point where you're just a smart, dumb person, right? There's nothing that bothers me more when somebody knows the right thing to do and just elects not to do it. I deal with that with my kids all the time. Hey, you need to do this. I know. I don't throw Chunkla, I throw Jordan. Whole jump man on the side of the head. But if, if when we think about that, that, it makes no sense, right? It makes no sense to be biblically knowledgeable, but yet not apply. But that's what Paul is pointing out. When we're excellent in knowledge, when we truly have knowledge, we will have also application of Scripture. Amen. Today we're going to look at the other three areas that Paul listed as characteristics that we should excel in. And those are earnestness, love, and grace. Earnestness, love, and grace. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks today. May your word continue to be nourishment for our spirits. We ask that your will for our lives be revealed as we continue to walk in faith according to the guidance of the Holy Spirit given to us by your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us of our sins and setting us free so that we may live by the example you set. Jesus, we give you our hearts and our worship. Thank you for your selfless sacrifice. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that today you equip us in order to fulfill the will of the Father. Give us strength and endurance to run this race. We ask these things in complete faith. They will be given. 
And everyone said, amen. Let's give God praise one more time. Ah. I look around the room and most of us, most of us, we, we all came from the era of chores, right? Some of we remember chores. I know a lot of the younger people are like, what's a chore? I never heard of a chore before. What's a chore? Chores were responsibilities in the home that did not necessarily regard your own personal room or items. They were things that took care of the home. I'm just breaking it. I, I know the adults are like, I got to know what a chore is, Max. I'm just breaking it down for the young people. I'm just letting you know what a chore was. See, and, and a chore did not come with an allowance. A chore, I'm going to appreciate that. He remember. A chore came with the ability to not get whooped. Your reward was that you did not get a beat down. So you do chore, you don't get beat down. That's the reward. It, it was not like a job, right? And chores, there, there can be a lot of different things from washing the dishes, which included washing, rinsing, drying, and putting away. That's how you wash the dishes. Washing the dishes included the sink, the, the, the stove, sweeping the floor, if the trash can was full. All of that was incorporated in washing the dishes. Other chores included cleaning the bathroom. Cleaning the bathroom did not mean just wipe off the pee from the toilet seat. It meant cleaning the entire toilet, inside and out, cleaning the sink and everything, all your little toothpaste. Like, I don't get kids. Do, does anybody else's kid do this? Uh, they brush their teeth and they're like, just right into the mirror. Like, you walk in, you're like, how? How did this happen? Like, down, not, I don't get it. But it included cleaning the sink, cleaning the whole entire mirror, cleaning the bathtub. Like, you cannot walk into a bathroom and not be at risk of a chemical attack. That's what cleaning the bathroom was. You had to mop, but before you mop, you had to sweep, and you had to actually get a bucket and, you know, put the chemicals in there. This was chores. This was just inside chores. This was normal. And there are some of you, you, you carry that on. Some of you guys, I, I love you. You got the OCD in you, and you are a hyper cleaner, right? You got all the good chemicals. Your fabuloso is popping. Like, you know how to mix it. It's all of that, right? You got, you got your perfect playlist for when you clean. You kick everybody out the house, and you just in your zone. You get it in, boom, 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 boom. And you love it. It's great. I'm not that person. I am an efficient cleaner. I am very good at cleaning. Why? Because I had a grandmother who trained me to do it, two of them actually. I had a father who trained me to do it, and of course the military trained me to do it. I can clean like no other. I don't like it though. I don't like, I don't enjoy it. I don't get excited about it. My playlist is a very angry playlist when I got to do it. But it has to get done. And then there are some of us, you're not cleaning unless somebody tells you somebody's coming over. Right? You do all the basic stuff, like you don't, as long as it's not sticky or it doesn't smell, then you'll leave. It's fine. It's just whatever. It's just there. It's just stuff. And what's crazy about the organized chaos people is you can find anything in the midst of the organized chaos. It don't matter where it's at. 
Like, where's the remote to the TV? Oh, it's in the back of the bedroom underneath the pile of clothes. There's a shoe on top of it. And you just, you just left it? Well, I know where it's at. The organized chaos people. And so, but growing up, I grew up with my grandmother who was like the OCD type. Like, you're going to clean and you're going to clean. Like, and... You know, I had no problem being obedient to chores because I got tired of getting beat, so I was like, you might as well just do it and do what you got to do. I still got beat. It didn't happen. Whatever. <laughs> I, I got to share some things. I got, my grandma's going to see this, and she's going to be like, I did not know you kept that in your heart for that long. I'm not, I have no grudge against you, Grandma, as you're watching this. I just, I'm just sharing with the people. I'm going somewhere with this. Trust me. <laughs> so... I did my chores throughout the week like I was supposed to. But when the weekend came, I thought this would be a time to like, you know, do what kids do, which is wake up at 7 a.m., get the biggest bowl of cereal I can get, and watch cartoons. I, like, if you grew up in my era, you had a planned strategy on cartoon movement. From seven to like eight, it's channel five. And then at eight o'clock, you switch to channel nine. Then at nine o'clock to channel 11, that took you all the way to 11. And then you go get another snack because you like all the cereal's gone. And then you come back and then you got like the late stuff, those weird like older shows from 11.30 to one o'clock. Then you're done. And then now we can start the day. Now I can put on clothes. But my grandmother did not believe in my strategy. Saturday for her was outside day, yard day, pull weeds by hand day, yeah, push mower day. And we had a gas lawnmower, but we used a push one. Some of you guys are confused. You don't even know what a push mower is. Never even heard of it. This is a mower that does not come with an engine or any assistance where all the power is generated from the human being attached to the mower. I was said human being. And then the blades were dull. So you're just out there just, <sighs> why my arm so big? The push mower. That's how this happened. It was sweeping and pulling weeds and all of this stuff. And you were out there all day. Like lawn day was not a quick day. It was not fast. It was not, okay, I go out there, I mow the lawn real quick, I'm out. No, you're going to be out there all day. The sun up to sun down, you get a little break to get some water and a sandwich, and you get back to work. That's just how it is on, on lawn day Saturdays. When those Saturdays came around to do the lawn, that's what you were doing. Forget about your cartoons, forget about what you thought you was doing. This is where you're going to be out for the duration of the day. And that's fine. That's fine. I'll handle my responsibility, I'll take it. My attitude wasn't that enthusiastic about it, though. And this is where the conflict between me and my grandmother happened. She wanted me to want to do it. That makes no sense. Who in their right mind wants to get up on the early morning on a Saturday, give up cartoons and cereal to be outside sweating? Why should I want to do this? Like, you're not excited? And Saturday was just the beginning because if we didn't go to church on Sunday, you're cleaning the inside on Sunday and you're cleaning the gospel music the whole Sunday. Like, you're waking up to KJLH, ow, get up. I'm like, no, no, this is not how I want to start my day. And what made my grandmother upset was that my attitude did not desire 
to do the work that was being requested of me. Or should I say demanded? I was more like voluntold. Because even though she, because it wasn't a request. Like this is happening no matter what. But there was a certain demeanor she expected out of me when I did the task she had given me. And I used to be like just bothered by this. Like who in their right, even as an adult, this stuff happens at home. Like, hey, can you help with this? You're like, oh, fine. Like, never mind, I'll do it myself. Like, why? I said I'll do it, but yeah, but you don't want to do it. Like, no, I don't feel like getting off the couch from football and doing dishes, but I'll do it. But there's a certain attitude that often if not placed in the right manner, will diminish the work being done. This makes sense to everybody. Imagine this. Imagine if I walked up here. <sighs> hey, church. Um, how long weekend, you know, and uh, some stuff. We got some people. They're going to graduate. Um, then I'm going to do this message. And it'll be cool. It'll be good. We'll have a good time. Uh, yeah. Automatically, you guys, this would be the last time people would be at church. This would be the last, like, I am never, ever coming back. Why? Because the attitude towards the work I was doing ruined the work. You can do the right thing, but with the wrong attitude, you will destroy the purpose of the work. This is why... When we look at Scripture and we realize the commands that God's given, he's also evaluating the attitude towards the obedience. It's not just saying yes, but the attitude with the yes. And I look back now, and I, now I get why my grandmother was upset with my attitude. She wasn't upset that I didn't want to do it. She was upset that I took everything that we have for granted. She was upset that I didn't recognize the blessing that I had a yard to mow in the first place. She was upset that I didn't acknowledge the blessing that we had food on a daily basis and we had dishes to eat off of and we had a roof over our head. That's what she was upset at. It's like I didn't realize the blessing that I was living in and I took it for granted. And in the church, we take for granted the blessings that God provides and we begin living with a sense of entitlement. Now I know all my Gen Xers and my older folks are like, me? Entitled? Never. That is those millennials and those Gen Zers. They're the entitled ones. They're the entitled ones, not me, no siree. But let church not go the way that you think it should. All of a sudden, I've, my pastor should respond to me when I want them to respond to me. Every single time I message them and call them. The worship team should play the songs that I like, not those kinds of songs. Why are they doing a different kind of music? And I want to appreciate the worship team for throwing in here I am to worship. I just want to thank you for that. Took me back. Made me feel some kind of way. But they're changing stuff about the church. Church is different now. These are attitudes of entitlement where we're no longer acknowledging the blessing of even having a building anymore, but we're critiquing why is the AC not where it should be. It's cold. It's too hot. They should have water. They should have this. How come not that? That's a sense of entitlement where you no longer acknowledge the blessing and you take the church for granted. This is why Paul writes to have excellence in earnestness. Excellence in earnestness. This is eagerness and spiritual passion. Eagerness and spiritual passion. 
Earnestness is not a word that we use regularly. I don't walk down the street and hear people saying, well, that's an earnest individual over there. Nobody says that. And so what happens is when we come across words that we don't commonly use, it becomes easy to dismiss the instruction. Not because you necessarily want to or you don't care. It's just you try to grasp a general understanding, but we really don't look at the instruction that is presented. The Greek word there for earnestness is spude. Spude. Yes, it's a funny word. You can laugh. No judgment. It's spude. All right, that is what it is. This word means haste. It means diligence. It means having a sincere desire to progress. So when we look at that word, having excellence and earnestness is having the sincere desire to grow and move the church of God forward. Something we would say today is we must be intentional. Don't just go through the motions. And often in church, that's exactly what happens. We just come. We just show up and expect, all right, Holy Spirit, do something. No? Okay, I'll try next week. Let me go back home. Okay, I'm back again. Do something. I don't feel any tingle. No. I'll try again next week. You're just going through the motions hoping that something's going to happen. And you're not being intentional, having a sincere desire to move forward with God. Because that's going to reflect in your attitude. How do you know if you have an earnest attitude or not? First of all, you would have got here early. I know I just shot on like half the church. Like, man, you don't even understand though, Pastor Mac. I had to get gas and then the line at Starbucks was like super long and then I put on an outfit. It didn't fit good. I didn't feel good about myself. So I had to change like three times. I was trying. I'm not hating on you. I'm not shooting on you. But let's understand excellence because when you're at work and you're trying to get that promotion, how's your attitude? You are the first one in, the last one out. You are grinding and outgrinding everybody else. Why? Because you got a desire to progress. You got an earnest desire to progress. But in church, that doesn't happen. Can we be honest? Can we keep it real? When we lack in earnestness, you know what happens? We become spectators in church. We observe church. And if you don't guard your heart correctly, then you become a critic of church. Where you come in, you spectate, you observe, and well, I give that sermon like a six. Never preach a sermon in your life, but you're critiquing what's being preached. Ah, I give that worship kind of like a four. They didn't really get there. They didn't really hit them notes. Can't sing on key. Don't even know what a key is. You're critiquing the cafe, and all you have is some Folgers at home. This is what happens when you begin to become just a spectator, where all you do is evaluate what everybody else does, knowing that you will never make the effort to achieve that yourself, because that's the world we live in now. It's easy to stand back and critique. We got a bunch of people in here right now. We're about to go home and watch football and tell all these football players what they're doing wrong. <laughs> it's true. I'm going to do it. It's okay. I get it. But there's something different about looking at sports, which has no meaning, and then judging the church was the most important thing on this earth. Do you know that God has a divine purpose for your life? And that purpose is not to fill a pew on a Sunday? That your purpose is not to show up here every Sunday to hear a message. That is not your purpose. 
God didn't design you for that. He didn't design you to work a nine to five for 20, 30 years and retire and go to Florida. He didn't design you and create you and make you into his beautiful masterpiece that you are so you can get a whole bunch of letters behind your name and everybody else can say how awesome this person is. He didn't make you to build a fortune upon this earth, to build fame upon this earth. He made you for a divine purpose and that is to build his church here upon the earth to the day that he returns. We are purpose to be the light in a dark world. We are purpose to be ambassadors of Jesus, proclaiming the truth in the word of God. We are purpose to be the body of Christ, using the gifts from the Holy Spirit that have been anointed and given to us through grace to reach the loss of this world. You have purpose. But the only way to live out that purpose is to have a desire in your heart to serve it out with excellence. We have a God-given divine purpose. Your life matters. Your life has meaning. Your life has value. I'm not saying this to gas you up. I'm saying it because it is the truth from the word of God. You are living out God's will for your life. That is what you've been designed for. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We watch each other make all the effort and all the investment on things that will fade away. You cannot take your business with you to heaven. You cannot take your degrees with you to heaven. You cannot take your IG followers, your Twitter followers, your YouTube subscription, it's not going with you. And I'm not saying that you should just cast away everything that you do in life because there is intention for what God has placed inside of your heart as a desire, as a, a passion, but it's to be used for his will. Everybody's not meant to become a pastor. Or, or, you know, run RLU, or you know, everybody's not designed for that. God wants to use your gifts, your talents, your ability for a divine purpose where you're at. The question is, are you serving earnestly where you're at? The job that you're in, the career that you're in, the school that you go to, your, your hobbies, your talents. God wants to use all of these things. He made you that way for a reason, because you can reach a people that I cannot. That Pastor Teresa cannot, that Martha cannot. All of us have the ability to reach different people in a different way. But the thing is you have to understand the work that you're doing is for God and not for self. There is no higher meaning for your life than the will of God. No matter how hard you work, no matter how many businesses you start, no matter how much money you make or degrees you get or accomplishments that you aspire and achieve, nothing will be higher than the will of God. Nothing. When I exited the military, I had difficulty transitioning because I had wrapped my entire identity into being a soldier. 
From the time I was three years old, the only thing I wanted to do in life was be a soldier. I watched Predator and Commando and all those movies, and I was like, I will be Rambo one day. I'm gonna be out there with a big old machine gun and just That's <laughs> That was my dream. Like, that's what I wanted to do. And by 18, I had accomplished it. By 19, I was already a war veteran. By 23, I was a two-time war veteran. I got medals and all that kind of stuff. And then one day it all came to an end. By my own choice, not because something crazy happened. But one day it just, that wasn't it anymore. But then I found myself lost. Why? Because I had wrapped my identity in something that was never going to be permanent to begin with. And we watch people. We watch people who go through their whole entire careers, loving the career. Then they retire and then they're lost. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. And even on the front end of things beginning and things happening, we watch young people already panicking and having anxiety attacks over what they're supposed to do with their life. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know. I got a bad grade in an English class in 10th grade. Now I want to kill myself. This is reality. We're watching people lose their minds over these things that will fade away. Why? Because we place so much emphasis on material things and fame and appearance of success, that that's where all the work goes, goes towards. But can I tell you from the word of God, your greatest purpose is to live out your life serving the will of God. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into a strict training, they do they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We, we spend so much time trying to build our, our kingdom for ourselves here on earth. It will not last. When you build the kingdom of heaven, that lasts forever. And if we're going to run this race, we have to run with passion. You do not line up for a race if you're just going to walk. I'm not saying everybody in this room has ran track before, but I'm pretty sure as kids, you looked at somebody on the playground or in your neighborhood like, yo, we racing from here to here. Or they called you out on a race, and for whatever reason, you take off your shoes, thinking it's going to make you faster, and you end up breaking a toe. Dumb. <laughs> but you never line up for a race to walk. I'm just going to walk. If they're going to run, I'm going to walk. You're You're intentional. You're, you're desiring to go as fast as you can and give your best effort. This is what's being written here is like, give your best effort. Put your best work forward. Dig into it. If you're going to run this race, you have to run with passion and with commitment and with intensity. And I don't know why culture, we just allowed ourselves to just become so comfortable with being lax and complacent and content with where we're at. We're just like, man, Like, that's culture now, man. And really, it's just if you make the effort, make the effort, give your all. As I said last Sunday, we aren't working to get into heaven. The word of God tells us that no one enters heaven by their own works, right? So that way no one can boast that we are able to enter into heaven as a gift from God through his son Jesus who made a sacrifice. And it is only by grace that we are able to enter into heaven. But there's something we have to pay attention to. 
Just because we have grace to enter heaven, that does not give us excuse to be lazy for the kingdom. It's like, oh, I'm already getting in, so what's the point? That's what that looks like. I don't need to do anything, I'm already going to heaven. I'm in, so what's the point? You cannot claim to have faith in Jesus if you don't serve Jesus. You hear what I said? You cannot claim that you have faith in Jesus and you do not serve Jesus. I'll prove it by scripture. James chapter two, verses 14 and 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is? Survey says it is? A little bit louder, it is? Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is, everybody? A little bit louder? So in order to demonstrate excellence and earnestness, we must live by faith, passionately fulfilling the work and will of God. That's what it is. That's completely what it is. You cannot just say you have faith and do nothing. You have to fulfill the work of God, living earnestly, passionately, diligently, with haste. Why? Because all of us are on a clock, and the clock is ticking. I don't know, that's how my clock sounds at my house. <laughs> We're all on the clock, and you only have so much time. And that's the thing, we get into our heads, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow, one day, one day. Instead of saying one day, how about you say day one? Day one. I'm done saying one day, day one. I am beginning. And if you're wondering about, Pastor Max, I don't know what God wants me to do. What's my calling? I'm gonna help you out. I'm speed you up on some things. We'll get into all those little fine details and things. First of all, God's not gonna make you just do one thing upon earth. You think God's just like, I just got one thing for you and one thing alone, that's all you're gonna do? That's it. No, that's not how it works. God's going to work something out through your life. And when God works through your life, the things that he's going to call you to do require more of him and less of you. If it was one thing, then you can handle it, life would be no problem, it would be easy, then you don't need God for it. That whatever God has for you requires more of him. That you have to rely on him. That you have to trust him. That you have to remove things from self, empty self, and allow him to pour into you. But what is the most important thing God called us to do? If you're going, Pastor, I don't know what he wants me to do. The most important thing that God called all of us to do, love. He called you to love. The most important thing for all of us to do is love. Excellence in love. Excellence in love. Unconditional, complete, total love. We must choose 
to love one another, choose to value one another, not because of our feelings towards them, but because God values and loves them. We choose love. You choose love through action. Let's, let's do a hypothetical real quick. Imagine this. Imagine we're at home. Teresa has somewhere to go. Say, like, hey, babe, I got to go do some things. Um, I'm going to take off. Like, okay, cool. Um, anything you want me to do? What's the most important thing while you're gone? Hey, just make sure there's some food in the oven right now. It's on. When the timer goes off, make sure you turn it off. That's the most important thing that you can do while I'm gone. Please make sure you turn the oven off. All right, babe, no problem. I got you. Then I get in my head like, you know, I want to do some things I think that's going to make Teresa happy. Okay, I'm going to go to her office, and I'm going to clean up her office. I'm going to organize it. I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to make it pretty. I'm going to build something for her. It's a hypothetical because I ain't building nothing. Um, <laughs> I'll buy something. I ain't building nothing. <laughs> I go in the office, and I'm fixing it up, and I'm making it nice. I, I want her to come home. I think she's really going to enjoy this. She'll love this. She'll like this. And the timer for the food goes off, but I don't turn the oven off because I'm so caught up and wrapped up into making this office nice for her. And then, you know, Dahlia, she starts crying, so I go grab her, I change her diaper, I feed her, I take her, and I'm like, okay, I make sure she's calm because I don't want her to be a dirty baby. When Teresa comes back, she'll be happy that the baby's clean and the baby's fed so she can relax and she'll be able to enjoy it. Teresa will like that. And then, you know, I go play with the kids and spend time with them because I'm thinking in my head, if I make the kids tired and they're exhausted and by the time they come home, they'll be falling asleep. When she comes home, I mean, we get to have alone time, which makes me very happy, which makes her happy, and we're all happy, and I love it. And so I, I take them out, we go play, I feed the kids and everything. The whole time, though, the oven is still on, and now the food catches fire, and then I take the kids out to eat, now the kitchen catches fire, and then the house catches fire, and I come back, and Teresa comes back, and the house is burned down. And she comes back, babe, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, what were you doing? The whole time, like, well, you know, I thought it'd be nice. I thought you would really like it if I, if I cleaned up your office and I organized and I built some stuff for you there. Well, then what happened? Well, then, you know, the kids were hungry, so I fed them. And then, like, they were bored, so I took them out to play. I just did all these things because I thought you would really, really like them. And I thought they would make you happy, so I did them for you. Did you turn off the oven? Well, no, because I was doing all this other stuff that I thought you liked. That was the most important thing. The most important thing, you asked me, what was the most important thing? I told you, turn off the oven, look at the house. Yeah, but the kids are filled, the kids are fed. Your office was nice. We don't have a house anymore. The home is burned down. You asked me what was the most important thing and I told you. And you didn't do the most important thing? Could it be? That the world is in chaos and in despair and broken because the church neglected to do the most important thing that Jesus told him to do? That the world is on fire right now because when Jesus left to go do what he, only he can do and he left us the most important charge, love God with all your mind, all your heart, and all your soul, love your neighbor just as yourself, we neglected that part and the house is destroyed. The most important work that you can do with all your heart, all your mind, and soul is love. Stop asking God, what did you call me to? What did you call me to? Go love somebody. Go love somebody. Go deposit into somebody else. Go value somebody else's life that is not your own. Go be concerned about another soul that's just not you. Stop being selfish. You will fulfill your calling that God has for your life. 
Go love somebody, but what if I don't like them, pastor? Go love them, but what if they have different politics, pastor? Go love them, what if they go to a different church? Go love them, what if they're a different religion? Go love them, what if they're LGBT? Go love them. Jesus did not stutter. This is the most direct commandment we get. It is echoed over and over again how important love is. It is so vital. It is the most important things. And the apostles say it over and over again. First Peter 4, 7 through 9. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all, everything else is here, but above that, love one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That means when you love somebody, don't complain that you're loving on them. Oh my God, I gotta go help so-and-so. Oh, can't believe I have to do this. Oh my God, they need help again. Here I go. Don't boast about it, don't complain about it because you remove the power of love. Colossians 3, 12, 14, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you lack in love, then you lack a relationship with God. No one can truly have a relationship with God and be void of love in their hearts. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So Jesus, John, Paul, and Peter all, without a doubt, demonstrated that loving each other is the most important work that we can do upon the earth. Number one, not even close. It's so important, like listen, you're probably gonna screw up everything else, more than likely you will, but love is so powerful it can fix just about everything else. Because if you're truly living in love, It'll prevent you from doing any of those other sins. When you focus on love. Here's where the disconnect happens. The lie that we receive from the world on what love is. See, love is not connected to feelings. Not, not this kind of love. It's not, well, if I feel this way about them, then I love them. And there are other types of love mentioned in the Bible, love between husband and wife, love between parents and children, brotherly love, those are all biblical loves and they're good, but that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the choice love, the unconditional love. And this love is based on truth and grace. And you see, the breakdown that has happened is the church has based love on feelings, where you love people with feelings and it prevents you from bringing truth. 
where you don't want to tell somebody the truth because of how they may feel. But that's not loving them. Think about it. Think about when you've been lied to and then you find out the truth. What hurt more? The truth or the fact that you were lied to and then found out the truth? When they could have just told you the truth from the beginning, it would have hurt, but it wouldn't have destroyed them. It's like this. We are so reluctant to hurt someone with the truth that will appease the lie that they're living and call it tolerance. Well, you know, I just don't want to make them feel bad. They look happy. I don't want to ruin their happiness. Imagine this. Imagine if I, I'm at a park, I got a blindfold on, and I'm running around like crazy, just having a good time. This will never happen because I don't do blindfolds. Um, <laughs> but I'm running around at a park, I got a blindfold on, and there's a cliff. There's a cliff, and I'm headed straight forward, full speed, open sprint. Nothing wrong will happen because I ain't running like that. Uh, but I'm running full sprint, and you see me. You see me running towards this cliff. And then somebody's like, hey, you're close, go help him. Go help him, they're yelling out to you to go help him. He looks happy. I don't wanna ruin his happiness. He, he might have hurt feelings. And I don't want him to be upset at me because I ruined his happiness. So you would rather let me die than to make me unhappy? We're watching people commit suicide with their souls. We know that there is an eternal death for those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. We know this. And we're watching people commit spiritual suicide to appease their feelings, and yet we're saying that we love them. If you love them, love them enough to tell them what the truth is. Love them enough to tell them what the truth is, that you may have the ability to, to save them. The truth does hurt but it will set you free. It will set you free. It will set you free. You've been set free by the truth. Be willing to love someone enough to tell them the truth. And the thing is when you operate in truth or you operate in love, you don't have to really worry about destroying the person because love is funneled through grace. Paul said be have excellence in love and excel in grace. Jesus operated in truth and in grace. And Jesus is the full embodiment of unconditional love. So when I speak to those who need to know the truth, I'm gonna speak it with grace. I'm gonna communicate with grace, I'm gonna be intentional because I love them. So I'm gonna make every effort, I'm gonna do it earnestly, with passion, with haste, with diligence, to communicate the truth in grace. We have to grasp this church. Souls are on the line, souls are at stake. We have to have excellence in these things. Excellence in our earnestness, excellence in love, excellence in grace. And in this context, grace here means unmerited help. 
That's the grace that's been given to us. The grace that we receive from the Holy Spirit, we didn't deserve it. It's unmerited. It's just because He loves us. That's what we're doing for people. It's just because we love you, we're going to help you. I love you because God loves you. I value you because God values you. None of us deserve God's mercy or God's grace. Understand that. So before we develop a callous attitude for someone else, for their past life or things that they've done, understand that you didn't deserve it either. But it was given to you because God loved you. Paul was just so overwhelmed by the grace coming from the people of Macedonia, people who didn't have nothing, but yet made every effort to give love and grace to the saints. Often we sit in church and we're like, well, I, I, I want to serve, but I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have that ability, I don't possess that. You have more than you could ever know. Because more than you have this church, which is a resource, you are connected to the source. And the source will never, ever, ever run out. When you lean on him and you trust in him and you operate in faith, he will anoint you and fulfill his promise in you and work his miracles through you. When we submit to the Lord, he enables us to share in his grace and his love. It is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we now have the ability to have excellence in love and in grace. So where you think you cannot, know that he can. As I said earlier, what God has called you to requires less of you and more of him. So it's okay to think that you can, but you gotta know that he can and that he will. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, Some of you, you've been hurting for so long that you forgot what it is to love somebody else. You've been living in a space where church is important to you, God is important to you, but you've been living it in isolation, going about it all alone, believing that you're, you're not meant for more. This is a lie from the enemy. The enemy has convinced you that your life doesn't have value, that your life doesn't have meaning. It doesn't matter if you show up this Sunday. It doesn't matter if you go to life group. It doesn't matter if you get connected. You're okay, continue your relation by yourself. That is a lie from the enemy. He is trying to remove and stop what God is going to do in your life. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit come beside that person right now where they're at. That person who's been seeking your face and wanting to know you more but not knowing how. That person who's been discouraged and have allowed doubt and fear to get a hold of their heart. I pray that your Holy Spirit begin to speak to them. As I'm talking right now, the Holy Spirit is ministering to that individual right now. See, it doesn't always require you to come down here to the altar. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now where you're at. It's your job to listen and hear Him. Is it going to be one day? Or is today day one? The Holy Spirit, I pray that you challenge their hearts right now. 
challenge them to pursue deeper, to live more fervently, to live more earnestly. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit equip them right now with their gifts. Let them be able to see it. Let them be able to know it and understand it. Father, I pray that faith begin to build in their hearts right now and they trust you in a way they never did before and they begin to step out fulfilling your will upon the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Wherever you call us, Jesus, we're going to respond. Wherever you want us, God, we're going to respond. We are here to serve your will. We submit to your will. We submit to your will, Father God.